I need to know what all those things mean. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the episode. Today we are discussing the readings for the second Sunday of Advent. The readings are pretty packed with a lot of meaning and symbolism, but today I am joined by Matt Hylam because Father Jonathan is currently sick. He's got the cold. Yeah, whatever's whatever's going around is getting a lot of us, but yeah. not us. I just I just healed like last week from mine, so I'm okay. Yeah. I, I'm still, I still sound a little stuffy. Yeah, I got sick. Like a week ago. So yeah. I could say it got us, mm-hmm. but not not currently. Uh-huh. Anyway, remember, if you enjoy this podcast, please like, comment, share, subscribe, all the things. We must appease the pernicious and fickle <laughs> algorithm gods. Also, if you want to ask us a question, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com. But before we begin, the sacred and profane so the sacred this week is, on Friday, is the Immaculate Conception. So the day that this podcast comes out mm-hmm. will be that feast day. So I thought about recording an extra episode, but then you'd have two that come out one day. So It's too much. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> come on. Too much, too much information for our, our listeners. So <laughs> I'll just briefly talk about the Immaculate Conception. So I've always kind of struggled with the the idea of kind of turning to Mary because she understands like you know mm-hmm. she understood she was not you know like like christ perhaps is you know fully god fully man so there might be a barrier there because he did have a the nature of god but mary was you know fully human but it's like yeah but she also had no sin yeah so what 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 exactly does she know <laughs> but then i realized that mary is is, is humanity as it's supposed to be mm-hmm. you know the, the sinfulness is not part of humanity originally, or it's not meant to be. To be sinful is actually not to be human. Right. You know, I think people take it that way, like to sin is to be human, mm-hmm. but it's actually the opposite. Right. So Mary is fully human because she lacks sin. Mm-hmm. But I guess I'll just briefly touch on that idea of, of her sinlessness is that she is to represent symbolically the kind of restart of humanity. Right, like Eve, she's called the new Eve. Eve was originally created sinless as the mother, mm. you know, and she was meant to kind of carry that on. Whereas now, you know, Mary's kind of the new mother of humanity, the new mother of believers, and she is also sinless. Right. As as the new Eve was intended to be. Mm. But like that's that. that's all I'll I'll say for that because <laughs> the the readings for for the Immaculate Conception are awesome, but yeah. we don't need to that, re- that reminds me of the uh, uh, the kind of interpretation of why uh, the Israelites were instructed to use unleavened bread, <clears throat> because the way you would make bread is that you would have like the mother, that's literally what it's called, yeah, right? Um, of the yeast that's growing, and uh, and so you would use a part of that to make your new bread, and you'd continue from that cycle of always using that um, old yeast. And the unleavened bread kind of meant that you were going to restart the cycle and saying, we're going to create a new point at which the new bread is made. Yes. And so it's like this new, like you're stopping the old cycle of Egypt and saying, we're going to completely sever that and start anew. And that's wow. kind of that Marian image of like, you're the new Eve, new cycle, new mother. Boom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And let's take another step. Mary is 
often described as the new Ark of the Covenant. Yep. And what is something that the Ark of the Covenant has? The manna. The manna. Yeah. Done. So, wow. We could get into that, but we have to, we have <laughs> we to rain, rain it in. <laughs> so the profane, we actually went to go see a, a comedian, Matt yes. and I, and then a, and a, mm-hmm. another friend. And before the show began... Yeah, truly the profane section of the profane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's that's true. You know, uh, I would listen to a podcast with Jordan Peterson and Matt Reif. Uh-huh. You know, you just got to yep. cancel it, all that stuff, or mm-hmm. Sammy can't, whatever. Yeah. And Peterson was talking about that that idea that you kind of go to comedians for the profane, or or the forbidden, yeah. I should say. Yep. And, and I mean profane and not the mm-hmm. kind of uh, vulgar right. way, yeah, but yeah. just that which is not sacred, mm-hmm. <laughs> the opposite. Yep. But yeah, there's a sort of taboo nature of com- comedians that is lifted momentarily, yeah. and you're free to laugh mm-hmm. about things that you normally wouldn't. But before the the show began, my friend was saying how there's there's something about being in the room with someone famous. Mm. Like there's like kind of like this yeah exhilarating moment, and I thought about it as because we we see so many faces on our phones and there's this like multi-layered disconnect. It's almost as if these people didn't exist. Yeah, for sure. You know, like if, if Jordan Peterson didn't exist, setting aside the fact that it was very weird that we've mm-hmm. been watching videos for years of him, but it, in one way it wouldn't really affect mm-hmm. me, right? Like right. I, I've never met him. He's not a personal friend. It, it would almost not change my existence. But then when you see them in person, you think, this person's actually real. They're yeah. not just on a screen right. or uh, a really great AI image, but they're actually a real person. And then maybe tying this back to the sacred, I feel like this is the, like the the moment of the apocalypse. Mm. Like there's kind of this moment where we can dull our senses and say, God may or may not be real. There's kind of, uh, I think, think uh, Ratzinger called it practical atheism or something mm-hmm. like that. Like there's this kind of idea yeah. of like, God might or might not exist, mm-hmm. and we kind of live our lives as though he doesn't and occasionally remember that he does. But there, there'll be this apocalyptic moment where you will see God, yeah, and there will be no doubt mm-hmm. that what you're seeing is real. Right. Yeah, so seeing Shane Gillis live is like an apocalyptic <laughs> It was It was a, a Shane Gillis apocalypse. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, oh my gosh, he is real. I believed in him. Yeah, exactly. But uh-huh. then I saw him. Yeah, then know? he became incarnate. You know, like a... It's it's Saint John. You you believe in him even though you have not, you've not seen him. Mm-hmm. You know you love him even though you do right. not see him. Yeah, and I then love. the lineup that you follow him on Instagram, but you haven't yeah, seen him exa- person. Yeah. <laughs> right. So <laughs> many people follow. Yeah, there's multi layers here again. Many people follow Christ, but right. do they believe in his mm. existence? You know, have they seen him? That's right. Spiritually, you know, it's it, that's it, good. Yeah, I like that. We'll leave that there. <laughs> <laughs> I, these, those are two topics we could have, yeah. but. Another time. Yeah, yeah. So we'll hop into the readings. So our first reading is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah is like the prophet of... of prophets. Yeah. But he's also like the, the prophet of Advent. Like you mm. just read Isaiah mm-hmm. all the time. But this is from Isaiah 40, which is the Book of Consolations, as they call it. So the Israelites are in exile, and God is giving them the consolation that they will return. But he has, uh, Isaiah has this kind of interesting image of what will happen to the earth. Mm. So he says 
A voice cries out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the wastelands a a highway for our God. Every valley shall be filled in, every mountain and hill shall be made low, the rugged land shall be made plain, the rough country a broad valley. So if you really look at this image that he's trying to paint, the world is going to become kind of like a a soft, like like just a round ball, a smooth <laughs> yeah. ball. It's going to become uh, a, a marble. Yeah, right. You know, there'll be no mountains. Mm-hmm. There'll be no valleys. Yeah. And even the ground will be made smooth. So, like, what what's going on here? Why this image? Mm-hmm. But then he goes, and I think this is the answer. He goes on to say, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all people shall see it together. So we'll take the image of the mountain. The mountain is a place of usually revelation. Um, um, that's yep. one one image of a mountain. And then perhaps maybe valleys could be interpreted as places of, you know, maybe hiding from God. So you have, yeah. you ascend to God or you go down mm-hmm. to hide. And then you have kind of the, just the ground itself is is hard to walk a straight line mm-hmm. because of how uneven it is. But when God is revealed, there will be, in a sense, no place to hide. There'll be no valleys to hide. There'll be no mountaintops to go to see him because he will mm-hmm. be with you. Mm-hmm. And the kind of the, the revelation that the road to God will be straight. That's that's sort of my symbolic take of what's yeah, going that's on. That's really here, interesting. I think. Is that yeah. the, the kind of the glory of the Lord will fill the earth mm-hmm. and there'll be no place in which he is not. Right. Or in no, I guess, even mediators um, like mountains. But. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is interesting that um, he says that every mountain shall be made low, but then immediately saying, go up to the high mountain Zion. Yes. So it's like, it's it's almost saying that like these these so-called mountains, like the things that you make into mountains, mm-hmm. mountains out of molehills. <laughs> yes. Um, but it's like the, the false idols, the false things that you climb up, all of that shall be made low in light of the true mountain. Um, and then even the valleys, the valleys where there should be a fill, that the things that in, in that you are deficient of will be made level so that you can see properly. Um, it is, it is, it's interesting to think about it in, in like a higher perspective sense in that um, I'm thinking like if you have, if you have a graph, have you ever seen like a, a like a, like an animation of a graph and it says like, you know, here's how much we made this year and here's how much we made the next year. Yeah. And it's like, growing but then it's like here's what we could make and it like gets so big <laughs> that the other ones are made low like yeah. level um so it's like valley or mountain and with the proper perspective of where god is in relationship to us it's all made flat yeah and that's how we should like with the correct perspective all of that is almost like the same in relationship to god like we have to have that correct perspective in order to see uh that our mountains should be Nothing compared to the high mountain of God. Yeah, etc. No, I, that's um, that's a really good point because earlier in the week was a reading from Isaiah, and he said that the mountain of the Lord shall be established as the highest mountain. Yep. But of course, again, he's talking about it in this higher perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, Zion is not literally the highest mountain, mm-hmm. obviously. Yep. Right. But in in a symbolic sense, where the glory of the Lord dwells is the highest mm-hmm. mountain, mm-hmm. the place where heaven meets earth. Yep. is de facto the highest. Yep. So all these other mountains will be made low in comparison to that. And right. so, but even in this reading, he talks about it, go up on the high mountain, Zion. 
and talks about Jerusalem. So these are places are uh, centers of the earth. Mm-hmm. Also, when um, talking about kind of these other areas being made low, there's a rabbinic tradition that when God flooded the earth, the only place that was not flooded was Jerusalem, was Mount mm, Zion. Interesting. That every every other place was covered with yeah. the the flood except for that one wow. place. So it's almost, again, what you said, everything in a flood was made level. Yep. In that if you look out over the sea, everything looks flat, mm-hmm. except for this one point where God dwells. Right, right. That's interesting. You mentioned the flood because that's going to tie into later where John yeah. baptizes with water. And so it's like, how do you fill in the valleys and the mountains? Well, you could just flood the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, that is yeah. one way to make a mountain low mm-hmm. and to fill a valley yeah. is to flood it. Yeah, just fill it with water. <laughs> right. Just cover <laughs> yeah. the mountains with water. Yeah. Uh, That's very interesting. But I, I also liked your interpretation talking about making the mountains low. There's almost this idea of uh, mountains are also are a place of revelation, mm-hmm. but they're also symbolic of pride. Right. And so you will be made low. Like the people mm-hmm. who who exalt themselves right. will be made low. And then we can also take a reverse interpretation of the valley instead of a place of people hide, that the low, the people who mm-hmm. um, hide themselves in humility, we'll say, shall be lifted up. Right. Exposed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Well, you yeah. know, I think of all the, you know, like uh, hermits or nuns, like people mm-hmm. unknown to the world, we'll say, will be exposed, but in a good way. Yep. Yeah. In an exalted way. Yeah, I like that. We also have uh, not only go up on the mountain, the high mountain of Zion, but this idea of glad tidings. We can pin that because mm-hmm. glad tidings is also gospel, mm. evangelion, the good, the good news, and that's how the gospel will begin. The gospel of Matthew, or sorry, gospel of Mark. We've been mm-hmm. reading Matthew for so long. Yeah, yeah. Just, you know. <laughs> Switch it up. Yeah. Um, do you want to move it. on to that? No, no, that's good. Okay. The psalm is kind of... Kind of brief. Sometimes, like I said, the psalm and the first reading are intentionally connected, mm-hmm. although all the readings in Advent are constructed intentionally. So okay. they're, they're all supposed to say something. Yeah. Again, Including the second reading? Including the second reading. So in ordinary time, that's the second reading is just on a cycle. Mm-hmm. But in these liturgical seasons, or I should say uh, particular liturgical mm-hmm. seasons, the even the second reading is connected. So we're going to see how that, that works yeah. out. But anyway... The psalm in this time seems a little disconnected, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Like it doesn't seem as, as obvious as, as some other ones. But it's Psalm 85, and it's ter- talking about the return of the refugees from the Babylonian exile. Mm-hmm. So again, Isaiah is talking about re- the return of the exile. So is the psalm. So there, there's a connection. But it's also promising salvation for those who fear the Lord. We've talked about that before, this idea of of filial fear of the Lord as opposed to servile fear. But what's more interesting is this idea of, he uses kind of fruitful imagery, that the truth shall spring out from the earth and justice shall look, shall look down from heaven. Hmm. Then in the next refrain, the Lord himself will give his benefits, our land shall yield its increase. So it, it's it's almost as if this this flood that we've talked about 
or in the first reading, is actually not completely a destructive flood, mm-hmm. but that the idea of it's, it's God's justice and truth that will fill the earth, and then the earth will bring forth good fruit, mm-hmm. good fruit of works. Yeah, interesting. And I, I mean, I think that's even the idea of the first flood was mm-hmm. was actually to reestablish justice and not to destroy the world, yep. but to somehow have this fruitful destruction, you right, know, the, right. or the seed that dies bears fruit. So I think that's part of what's what's happening here mm-hmm. in the psalm is the this idea of of God's he even says the glory of God kind of dwelling in our land will again fill every every aspect of the mm-hmm. world and, and have it bear fruit. Right. That's interesting. Yeah, the the lines um kindness and truth shall meet and justice and peace shall kiss just made me think about like um things being separate but then being brought together. So like mountains and valleys being made level. Like justice and peace will will coexist. So instead of there being an injustice and having to rain fire from above of justice to level the mountain, it's justice and peace will be like one in the same. So mm-hmm. like you'll have this like justice will be peaceful as opposed to justice being unpeaceful. Like so that that means the the bad things in the world will be made so that the the justice of the Lord walks like the justice is in the world. That's like the the truth shall spring out from the earth. It's like everything is as it ought to be, so that justice and peace are the same, one and the same. Yeah, um, and that's like related to that mountain and valleys being made level. Yeah, I don't know. Well, that's interesting because many church fathers saw this the, these, these verses: uh, justice and truth shall meet, or, or kindness and and truth, truth. Shall, mm-hmm. shall meet, and justice and peace shall kiss as this idea of, of the union, of the incarnation, of the union mm-hmm. of, of Christ, mm-hmm. you know, kind of the human nature and the divine nature coming together. And I think Christ does, in fact, symbolize exactly what you're trying to say, mm-hmm. which is in Christ, truth and kindness are one. Right. Justice and peace are one. So how do you, how do you establish both of those? Because in, in mm-hmm. our fallen world right now sometimes pe- what is peaceful is right. n- is not just right right or what is just is not peaceful mm-hmm. yeah but or then, if i had to like tell you something truthfully it might not be kind you know like <laughs> right. you say like yeah yeah so like how do we get to a point where um you are the way you are and i am the way i am and the way that we should be such that when i speak truth it actually is kindness yeah in order for that to be established we would both have to be at a point that there would be no flaws. <laughs> you know, obviously that's the ideal and that's fulfilled in Christ, but that's the point is that truth spoken, just pure truth would actually be kindness because everything is made good. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So in Christ, when he speaks truth, it's kindness mm-hmm. and then, you know, vice versa right. and all these different things. Yeah. But un- until then, uh, you know, yeah. it may, perhaps they're, they're mm-hmm. divided, but, the, but part of the incarnation is to show how can these things come together? Mm-hmm. Truth, kindness, Peace and justice. How are they united? Mm-hmm. And we're given the model in Christ that all the, all these things are possible, but only in Christ. And yep. I yep. guess a, a contemporary note is that you know, when you kind of take Christ out of this picture, you see how these things start to fall apart, mm-hmm. right? Like you, I feel like we see a demand for justice 
that is often not peaceful. Yeah, yeah. But because once you lose Christ, who unites these two perfectly, then you get kind of perverted senses of truth, yep. justice, yep. and peace. Yeah, for sure. And you see it in mostly peaceful protests. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's that's the perverted sense of it. Mostly just protests. <laughs> <laughs> right. Uh, anything else? That's it. That's good. Yeah. So moving on to the second reading from the letter of St. Peter. This one, like I said, it's it's intentionally connected to the readings. And at first it's very obvious because he says, if the Lord is delayed... It's for your own good. So mm-hmm. you might think of our own our own time period or the idea of why did some people consider the incarnation to be delayed? But the idea is that the Lord is is the Lord of time and history. So there if he is delayed, it's not arbitrary. It's for a reason. It's for your your repentance. But then we move on to this idea of the world and the cosmic elements being dissolved by fire. To which he says three times, dissolved by fire. And that's, in a sense, a kind of terrifying image. But I think it connects to our first reading again about making the world smooth (laughs) or making the world one is this dissolution by by fire. And again, we have to kind of pin this because it'll, I think, become even more obvious once we get to the gospel Mm -hmm what this dissolution by fire means. That's very interesting. I, yeah, I didn't even pick up on that when I was reading through this. Um, but that, that will tie into the gospel. When, when John says, I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. So it's like the, the normal purging process is usually with this flooding type of cycle. But there will be coming a different type of renewal that is through fire and from above. Right. That's different. Right. I like that a lot. And he gives us this uh, this image of a new heaven and a new earth that'll mm-hmm. be created by by the fire. Mm-hmm. And oh, I lost. I had a note on this, but it's it's interesting that the the so he's describing the second coming, but he's not describing the second coming as a battle, but more as this, like, cosmic upheaval. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not as though Christ will come and defeat evil through, through a battle, which is very common right. in, in other kind of myths or, or, or religions. But here it's, it's he'll come with fire and— She's going to burn everything. <laughs> burn everything, yeah, just, like, melt, melt the universe. Yeah. and No battle, he just wins. Yeah, yeah. Which on one hand, yeah, that makes sense. We've because yeah, yeah. we've, we've talked about that before on the podcast that the battle is won. Mm-hmm. There's there's no more to it. But it's it is interesting that that it's it's more of a a fire that brings transformation. Mm-hmm. You know, if you read someone like Saint John of the Cross, he often uses fire as the image, not of destruction, but of, of but of transformation. Yeah. So That's something will be dissolved, the old order. But that's not the end of the story. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking of a lot of those like apocalyptic movies where it's like like a crater yeah. hits hits <laughs> your, it's like fire. It's it's not it's not going to be like that. It's yeah. it's 
this idea of, of a cleansing and purifying fire that what's left over will be transformed into the new heavens mm-hmm. and into the new earth. Right. But while that's happening, like kind of, or I guess before that's happening, you have to conduct yourselves in holiness and devotion, he says. Mm-hmm. So if you want to participate in the new order and the transformation, now is the time to start kind of living that new heavens and new earth. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. The the like dual uh, response one could have to fire. Uh, Jordan Peterson talks about this all the time with like burning the dead wood of being like, if you don't burn the dead wood frequently and like inflict that uh, renewal in yourself, then the fire is going to come eventually. And when it does, you're not going to like the presence of fire very much. It's going to burn everything and scorch you. Um, so it's like, yeah, fire is uh, a purification process, but it also hurts like hell, especially if you haven't been doing this on the regular. So it's yeah. like, that's the warning Peter's giving. It's like, so in the meantime, be found without spot or blemish because <laughs> it's going to hurt. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise. Yeah. Well, I, I think that actually fits in perfectly uh, Jordan Peterson's take because he Peter St. Peter seems to kind of insinuate that, right? Like there's some people who think that the, that the Lord is delaying. Mm-hmm. And so maybe we have time to kind of goof off. He's saying, but no, but the Lord is going to come. And right. when, now Jordan Peterson talks about it in the flood sense, that the flood mm-hmm. is coming, yeah. get your boat ready. But I think St. Peter's saying the same thing, which is the fire is coming. The right. solution is coming. Don't delay. Mm-hmm. Don't wait because it'll, the Lord will come like a thief in the night. Right. But if you are prepared, he said, conducting yourself in holiness and being without spot and blemish, it will be fine when the fire comes mm-hmm. because you will have already, in a sense, be purified. Right. Um, isn't it? It's, gosh, I can't say I know much about clearing forest fires, but <laughs> isn't it true that there, there are some areas that they burn yeah. before? Yeah, they do right? like and forest then, burns right. like yearly or you know every five years or whatever to right. make sure that a lightning strike doesn't completely scorch everything. Right. Or like, you know, it's like, I guess they burn a piece of area, then the fire comes and there's nothing to burn. So mm-hmm. perhaps that's this idea yeah. of the dead mm-hmm. ones is yeah. if you purify yourself now, when the fire comes, it won't consume you. Right. Yeah. And the, it, the, the catch is not like, hey, be prepared because this one moment is, is going to call upon you. And then you have to like render that thing that you prepared for. Like, I, I think of it too, like, I feel like, there's a tendency to think of it too, um, like a thing I have to do as opposed to a state of being. It's like the whole point of this is that you have to be in a state in which you are always ready. And so like that comes, the package that comes with that is, oh, I'm always self-checking and removing my spots and blemishes. And that's like the meta point is like always be doing that. Not because there's some event that's going to happen sometime in the future, but it's always there. Like the apocalypse yeah. is always there for you. Like that judgment and renewal is always uh, like right in front of you. So yeah, I don't know. I I would read these things when I was younger as like prepare for the actual end of the world. But it's like the end of your world could happen at any moment. Yes. And like the end and your apocalypse could be now. You know, like have a mini apocalypse for yourself and, and unveil what's been hidden and fix that. Right. <laughs> like that's yeah. the whole state of being you should be in. And I'm going to... Uh... Make a similar point once we get to the gospel of this whole new heavens and new earth is on a cosmic scale, but you could also say it's on a mini scale. Yeah. 
that you can have this dissolution of yourself now. Right. Like you said, like, and it's, and it's a perpetual dissolution, right? It's, mm-hmm. it's a, you're, yes, you're awaiting, he says here, the coming of the Lord, but it's supposed to be, it, he says here, found without spot or blemish. So that means that yeah. now it's not, you know, the Lord's going to come and then you're going to say, oh, quick, 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 you know, I gotta, mm-hmm. like, I got to get ready now. It's, no, this is a process you've been doing. And so therefore it, there is no kind of a shock, I guess. Yep, but right. Yep. Yes. Anyway, um, any other thoughts? No, that's we'll good. Probably yeah, we'll flip back. Flip back and <laughs> forth. I'm going to. Yep. So now here we are. Uh, we're at the be- very beginning of St. Mark's Gospel. Mm-hmm. And the Gospel begins with the beginning of the Gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So you have here a bit of a callback, right, at the beginning, talking about or alluding to Genesis, Mm -hmm. so in the beginning. So you have this idea of in the beginning God created the world. So now in Advent and the coming of the Messiah, uh, there's a a new creation event that's happening. Again, that's immediately going back to our second reading. There's a new world being created, but not – but, but in a more spiritual interior mm-hmm. sense. So then he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Behold, I am sending my, mes- my messenger ahead of you. He will prepare your way. A voice of one crying out in the desert, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. So then this voice is immediately connected to John the Baptist. Mm-hmm. He says, appeared in the desert, proclaiming the baptism of repentance and forgiveness of sins. The whole and the whole Judean countryside and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem were going out to him, were being baptized by him in the Jordan as they acknowledged their sins. So I'll stop there. It's kind of tempted to read the whole thing just right. because we're going to like... <laughs> we'll get into the second half. Yeah, we're going to get into all... Yeah, I'll just continue. John was clothed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. He fed on locusts and wild honey. And this is what he proclaimed. One mightier than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop and loosen the thongs of his sandals. I have baptized you with water. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Okay. I need to know what all those things mean. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's there's a lot going on here. So we have a juxtaposition here. So we have the mm-hmm. desert, mm-hmm. and then we have the Judean countryside. So it's not incidental that John the Baptist is in the wilderness or in the or in the desert mm-hmm. and that he's in in the Jordan River even or that he's doing his ministry at the Jordan River. The Jordan River is a has symbolic value as a barrier between wilderness and the promised land. So he's kind of in a symbolic sense saying that there is a new exodus coming and there's a new right. promised land but the barrier is repentance. Mm. But even then, it's it's not the fulfillment. He, as he said, like, I'm just doing this with water, but yep. s- someone greater than I is going to come. But right now, he's kind of calling almost those who are, I guess we could say, I would say the usually the city is a place of order. Mm-hmm. But you could also say maybe a place of comfort. Yeah, for sure. You know, calling yeah. people out of of kind of, Perhaps yeah. too much orderliness into the wilderness Correct. to be tested. Because mm-hmm. the wilderness is 
obviously for the Israelites, a place of wandering and testing. Uh-huh. So he's saying, come out and and kind of wash away your sins, or, or at least prepare to yep. have them washed away. Yep. I mean, do you have any questions yet or, or um, about that? Or? No, I just, I'm, <laughs> I'm just thinking about what all these things are. Camel's hair, leather belts, locust, wild honey, like all the symbolism there. Uh, is so packed. Um, yeah, we can. Yeah, we can move into that because that that is a that is something I feel that a lot a lot of Sundays is just kind of like washed over. Like you just hear and you yeah. hear it time mm-hmm. and time again, right? That he was eating locusts mm-hmm. and honey, and then he was wearing camel's hair, and it's like yeah. we have to remember that th- this was a kind of an interpretive or hermeneutical tool that I was taught, which is writing in the ancient world is very expensive. Yeah. Literally and metaphorically. Mm-hmm. So if they chose to write it down and then not only it was written down, but then people copied it, there's a reason. So why the camel's hair? Why the leather belt? Right. Why the locust? Why the honey? So John the Baptist comes in the spirit of Elijah. So he's, he's in, in other gospels, they ask him, are you Elijah? Mm-hmm. And to which he says, obviously he's not, but in one sense, he is, because he, he is in the spirit. And Elijah was foretold to come in the last days, mm. which is the coming of Christ. You know, it's not the the last days, but as I think we've mentioned before, from Christ on is technically the, the end times. We're living right, in right. kind of a, a prolonged end times, but that's 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 where we are. So Elijah, his clothing and his diet is not a, uh, it's not like they're trying to do a day in the life of an influencer here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. this is what, this is my fashion. This is what I eat in a day. But they're trying to signal immediately that this man is like Elijah. Mm-hmm. So Elijah is the proto-prophet. He's the first of the prophets. And in many ways, he's the, he's the prophet. He's the archetypal prophet. And John the Baptist, for his point, is participating in that archetypal prophet mode. However, he's the end hmm. of kind of biblical prophets. You know, we have kind of, I would say maybe small p prophets. Yeah, yeah. Right? But and when it comes to biblical prophecy, he is the end hmm. of, of them. So the camel's hair. Do we want to talk about the clothing first? Yeah. Well, so uh, let, what will tie into the camel's hair is the fact that um, the previous point you made about the, the desert and this outside wilderness if you think about it as like the city in the center and that's the place of comfort or the place of tyranny either way um and then you go out to the periphery where there's chaos um and there's disorder uh there's a cosmic image there of also like the garden of eden as the center and then when adam and eve fall they are cast out and they are given garments of skin Mm -hmm. which is what this camel's hair seems to signify so that John is this outside periphery figure. So I don't know if the leather belt ties into that too. Like it's also like it's also animal skin. Right, right, yeah. Because I guess you have the ha- you have the camel hair as obviously signaling yeah. that. But then leather it does come from yeah. from animals. Yeah, usually the. So I, w- I was looking up sort of a medieval uh, medieval Carmelite interpretations mm-hmm. of John the Baptist because. They believed that John the Baptist, since he was in the spirit of Elijah, was kind of a, 
I don't know, an unconscious Carmelite. They, they kind of claim Carmelite him. at heart. Yeah. It, well, yeah, exactly. They kind of mm-hmm. co-opt him to their own. Yeah. That's fair. That's that. I mean, that Carmelites are. They were doing that all kinds of stuff. <laughs> they did. They did to Mary to Elijah. Uh-huh. Anyway, but the, you know, they interpret the belt as as a, as a kind of a, a symbol of of spiritual warfare. Uh-huh. As like you know, one kind of girds themselves for that. Mm-hmm. But then they use for the camel's hair. They use that exact fra- that exact phrasing of garments of skin. Mm. Yep. That it's it's supposed to be kind of symbolic of of a of a man warring against himself and and not civilized. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's not what people in the city would wear. It's what people in the desert wear. Right. So it, interesting. It's a uniform in the sense of the camel's hair is a uniform of the prophet. It mm-hmm. signifies yep. or symbolizes. That that's his office, and the role of the prophet is to call out the center. Essentially, is call for yes. renewal from the outside. So that's all like perfectly coherent, and especially the leather belt too, being both a garment and then armor is the same symbolism as the garment of skin. As like it's used for protection because you're on the outside. So it's it's all the it's all there. Yeah, the the camel's hair even is like the again like a spiritual mm-hmm. armor. You know, it's right. supposed to be rough. It's uncomfortable. It's it's not attractive. Mm-hmm. But the whole idea is that it's it's you're warring against yourself. You're it's yep. armor against the you know, spiritual warfare or yep. for for spiritual warfare. But uh, you're right. The, the role of the prophet is to call people to repentance, and that's what he's doing right now. Mm-hmm. He's essentially calling for the valleys to be filled and the mountains to be made low. It, exactly. Yeah. If we go back to our first yeah. reading, that's in a symbolic or spiritual sense what he's calling for is for the mountains to be made low to to make sure that there is no obstacle Mm -hmm. to your conversion so you have make straight his paths prepare the way so what he's doing is saying you need to remove the obstacles Mm -hmm. because christ is coming one greater than i is coming right that's even like the second reading remove the obstacles in your life for the day of the lord's fire right I, uh, that's so um it's so cliche amongst Christians and Catholics to hear like prepare the way of the Lord. <laughs> but is. like living that out um really is like it's hard to describe other than that but but it's like um you know going through your day and you know again myself having five kids and running a company and it's like all the things I have to do uh seem like they get in the way like they all are are like vying for their own attention there's all these valleys and mountains and all of that has to be flattened and leveled in the presence of god first and then there's peace then justice and peace shall kiss or what you know whatever <laughs> right um but so yeah it's like preparing the way for the lord is like is like um sort that stuff out <laughs> so that god's grace can flow through you when god comes down when you go to the sacraments and you pray and you go up the holy mountain of Zion, then it actually like then it truth abides in the world. You know, like then everything is filled. Um, so just like seeing it as more than just like a story about John the Baptist saying Jesus is literally coming here, as opposed to like this is this is always applicable. I don't know. Yeah, no, that yeah. th- well, that's exactly it, and that's a uh, right out of Ratzinger's playbook in terms of of interpreting scriptures, what is it saying to us now? Mm-hmm. And it's exactly that. This is not like a cliche, like just prepare the way, like, you know, yeah. put out a red carpet. Uh-huh. But it's like, no, it's 
in the presence of God, exactly as you said, everything is, is made level. It's remove the obstacles that are keeping you from hearing the voice. Yeah, right. Um, you know, a lot of medieval ter- interpretations pick that up immediately and say that first John the Baptist is called a voice. Mm-hmm. He's not even a, a person. He's just... Right. But what happens, yeah. uh, they, they try to make a connection here between the word and the voice, that you hear a sound and then the, kind of the word follows. I don't know if that's up to snuff with science, but <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll keep the we'll keep the symbolic mm-hmm. or spiritual interpretation going. Mm-hmm. So, in order to hear that voice, though, there are obstacles. You're saying all these yeah. things, as you said, vying for your attention. Yeah, you know the the valleys that maybe deaden the voice, or the mountains that block the voice, whatever that is. Mm-hmm. You have to level those and fill those in to to hear it. Yep. Otherwise, there is there is no. You know, you'll you'll wander instead of get on getting on the straight and narrow, mm-hmm. as it were. Yeah, I like that. So, we covered his his fashion. <laughs> yes. Now let's we can, move to his diet. Now let's move to his diet. Yeah, I told you <laughs> earlier in a text. I was like, I've just been thinking about how John has a like diet of protein and carbs, but like no fats. Like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he needs like a well-rounded diet. What's going on with this guy? Probably but, deficient in like vitamins and stuff. Yeah. Well, when I when I when I first read this last week, you know about about the honey. I sometimes will take a, a tablespoon of honey before working out. Yeah. And that's that's good for you. Like I guess the simple uh, carbs, kind of uh-huh. a slow burn. Yeah. Turn but, into like the wild man, John the Baptist. Yeah, like, <laughs> right. Every time I <laughs> the took the tablespoon of honey, I was like, I feel like John the Baptist. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but you're right. It's like that's. Uh, I feel like there's some things missing here. But why? The locusts and the honey. Mm-hmm. Again, it's it's a diet of prophets. It's a diet of the wilderness. That's yeah. true. But let's let's we can try to take it apart here. So of bugs, of of clean bugs. Speak of bugs in in um, Leviticus. Crickets and locusts are designated as clean. Mm. They can be eaten. Now, why God declares some things clean and others not is of great debate. There's many scholars who Uh go back and forth. So one proposal is, and a popular one, is that God doesn't like kind of in-between things. It's either a land animal, it's a flying animal, or it's a sea animal. Right. So fish are okay. But not maybe something like frogs, right? Or something that kind of swims, but then also is on land, yeah. or or mm-hmm. things that fly, but then also not. So crickets, the reason why, you know, I'm sure this is very riveting for people, but you know, you gotta you gotta <laughs> know uh, the reason why cricket or the reason why locusts are okay according to Leviticus, Leviticus is they have jointed legs for hopping on the ground, mm. so they fl- so they don't. They're flyers. Yeah, right. Yeah. So it seems like they, they don't crawl. Uh-huh. They hop. And right. they also – so it says all flying insects that walk on all fours are to be regarded as unclean by you. Mm-hmm. There are, however, some flying insects that walk on all fours that you may eat. Those that have jointed legs for hopping on the ground. Right. Of these, you may eat of any kind of locust. So they're not really like hybrids. They just happen to have four legs that they just kind of don't quite use. 
Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah that exactly. That's still coherent with the like n- no middle yes. animal. Yes. Yep. So it, it doesn't spe- it specify some other ones, but it doesn't specify mm-hmm. what other, I guess, the ones that are not. But so locusts are, <laughs> I guess, kosher. Yeah. They're, they're clean. <laughs> uh huh. Yeah, that's interesting. That's, uh, I mean, we were talking about this earlier too, of like the uh, the split hooves and, mm-hmm. and the animals of like, Peugeot would interpret that as like this like masculine and feminine nature of like you need, to, you need to keep those separate. And then when that's grounded, then you can integrate that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I like that a lot. That's interesting. Yeah, I was, I was thinking about bugs in general, um, trying to go back to like, what is a bug? <laughs> like yeah. I asked my wife too, I was like, all right, so when you're gardening and you hear bugs in relationship to gardening, is that a good thing or a bad thing? And she's like, well, it's mostly a bad thing. But you do want the good bugs around to, like, you know, f- um, help the soil. Uh, but most most of the time there's too many and they, they eat the plants and they kill the plants. And then so that, you know, started me down a rabbit hole of thinking, like, the last time I remember hearing about locusts from the Bible was the plagues. Yeah. So bugs are the things that kill, that bring on death, that destroy the structure. I, the, again, there's a little bit of that prophet nature of, like, destroying the... The order. Yeah, no, your prophets yeah. shake things up and they're often yep. hated. Yep, so, yep, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, and then the fact that the fact that John is eating this, so he he's somehow integrating the bug <laughs> per se. Um, and so there, there's something about the nature of the prophet and needing to uh, renew and somehow integrate or like look deeply in and to incorporate all of the bugs in order to in order to, you know, find renewal. Um, I thought of Simba from The Lion King, who's like, you know, he's cast out when when he's accused with murdering his father. He's cast out into the wilderness, and he is then surrounded by animals. So you got garments of skin there, and then is eating bugs. And then he finds his renewal through that, ex, you know, exodus into that area. So there's something about incorporating the, the death that had you have to like reconcile with that, um, and that's what John is bringing to the table. I mean, like y'all should do this too. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. try a bug. <laughs> yeah, I so I'm thinking of <laughs> try a bug. <laughs> well, the what is it? Uh, the UN or who's trying to make us eat crickets? Uh, Klaus Schwab. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's so yeah. that's the symbolism happens moment. Yeah, <laughs> it's like we can do that somewhere else. We don't have to put that in our burgers, like for real. Yeah, um, it's like I don't, I don't think you're. Uh, I know you might think of yourself as John the Baptist. Yeah, but yeah. I'm gonna tell you right. you're not. But <laughs> yeah, if you don't sort the bugs though, that's the that's the thing. It's like you think about like all the science right now around like a healthy gut of like the proper integration of the bug. Um, during the winter time, the right the furthest place away from the sun in the winter equinox, the stomach bug comes. You know what I'm saying? So like you have all these things that like are um, revealed to you in inwardly. You during the win- the hot moments, right? Spring and summer, um, the bugs are on the outside. But now in the winter time, when it's cold, it's inward. You have to. It's like, oh shoot! Now the bugs in me, and yeah. I have to. <laughs> I have to fend with this. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, true. The summer months, you're laying in bed, you can hear them out there. Yeah, yeah, they're outside. Just, they're, they're out there. Yeah, yeah. yeah winter forces you to look at the bug inside. Yeah, <laughs> I like that. That's that's yeah. that's John the Baptist. He's saying you yeah. have bugs within you. Exactly. Come and, and yeah. be washed clean. I do like the idea of almost eating condemnation reading judgment right because mm-hmm. you're you're correct that one of the plagues is is the locusts that come and destroy so it, in a way he's saying that thing which destroys that thing's what kind of 
eats your crops and everything like that. Take it, take that 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 symbol of judgment, right? And eat it, kind yep. of mm-hmm. you know, take it on yourself. And then Christ is going to do this in a an even more exalted way mm-hmm. in which he he becomes sin, right? He becomes right. judgment. Yep. And that's that call too, like to uh, renew yourself before the renewal comes. It's like before before the bugs come, incorporate the bug. It's like before the flood yeah. comes, have many floods and like burn the deadwood before the fire comes. So it's like that's what John is doing essentially. Yeah, I, I really like that interpretation. I Let's think, go with that one. <laughs> because it is, I, I, again, it's, it's a topic that is like, oh, yeah, he was eating locusts and honey. Mm-hmm. And you just kind of like, yeah. and anyway. Right, right, right. On. Um, yeah, the wild honey too is like, yeah. Um, and bring that up. The 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 polarity between honey and milk is something that has deep symbolism. Obviously, the um, the land of milk and honey is where the Israelites go. Um, so honey seems like it's incorp. It has to do with this kind of obviously it's wild honey, so it has to do with this outside food yeah. um, and almost. The symbolism is deeper. I don't know if we want to unpack this, but it's like a hyper-masculine instead of like obviously the milk from a mother. So the opposite of that is like honey and that has to do with the masculine, the male bees that make the honey. Um, So all of this like wild outside force is is what um, John is integrating into himself. Yeah. Well, because even uh, going back to the locusts, as far as I know, there, there are no domesticated locusts. Uh, yeah, the, like in, in the, <laughs> I mean, maybe there was locust farmers yeah, I, I doubt on it. leashes, but yeah, they and they kind of just roam and just like and devour yeah. and move on. And yeah. the same thing here, they, he's not beekeeping, right? These are not mm-hmm. because the fact that it's signified as wild honey is important because mm-hmm. there is in the Bible there is qualifications about domesticated honey and mm-hmm. wild honey, mm-hmm. so that is not an accident, it's not yeah. just honey in general. But you're right. It's this yep. honey that's on the outside, wild in the wilderness with mm-hmm. John, with John the Baptist, who's also right. kind of out there. So he's integrating all these elements. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like that. So the loosening of the sandals. Do you have any thoughts on that? I have a, I have a thought. Uh, I guess there's the there's um the symbol of humility, obviously. Mm-hmm. And, then there's, um, I think there's some hi- kind of historical background to that. Yeah, I was but, trying to figure out what it, what does that mean, like to be worthy to loosen someone's sandals. What came to mind, this might not be right, but I'm just speculating. Um, when Moses is instructed to remove the sandals from his feet because he's on holy ground, he's instructed to remove essentially his garment for renewal. Mm-hmm. Like, so he's in the presence of God. And John is claiming that he's essentially in the sentence saying that, like, I'm here to uh, warn the world of the coming of Christ. And so, like, I am worthy to request everybody remove their sandals for the coming because they are about to be in holy ground, except for this person. Like, mm-hmm. I cannot remove his sandals because my role as, like, the major prophet, as, like, the final prophet, he is above that. He's not the one that coming after me is is not um, beneath or under like uh, my jurisdiction to to correct. That's just I came to mind. I think no, I think that's correct because as soon as Christ shows up in the Gospel of Mark, 
John moves out of the way because he, he does say one mightier than me, which could also mm-hmm. be one stronger mm-hmm. than me. That's in the first reading. Uh, here comes here comes with power the Lord God who rules with his strong arm. So mm-hmm. it's it's it, you're right. John the Baptist can can tell people who are coming to repentance to remove their sandals, but he cannot tell Christ, who is a kind of holy ground himself, mm-hmm. to remove his sandals. Right. Because he doesn't have, he is not, uh, Christ is mightier than John the Baptist. Right. And you don't tell kind of holy things what to do. They tell <laughs> yeah, you. Exactly. What to do. Like yeah. they, they, they provoke you to repentance, not you provoke holy things to yeah. repentance. He is whom we remove all of our sandals for. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. So he's saying if he, in, I don't know if this dialogue happens necessarily in Mark, but in the other gospels you get this, he, this dialogue between Christ and and John the Baptist of, you know, I should be baptized by you, right? So that there is this weird reversal that that'll right. happen that mm-hmm. I should be baptized by you, and I am not worthy to take off your sandals, but yet you're going to ask me both of these things, you mm-hmm. know, to happen. Yeah, no, right. I I like that a lot. That you don't, in some sense, John the Baptist is not claiming power over the holy. Right, right, and then like that, that connected for me when uh, reading the next line, which I have baptized you with water, and he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It's like John is almost being, like the role of the prophet is, is kind of a pointing out of the cosmic cycle that we should participate in. Of like floods come, we should renew, um, and that's like the symbolism of water. There is all like very natural. But what Christ is coming to do is not just that. It's not just the Jordan Peterson, go clean your room and burn the deadwood. That's like the basic, you know, prophet telling you to purge your life, get your stuff together, sort the things out. That's like the natural level of that. But then Christ is coming to do something else from above, right? To baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire, to like to purge the world and create a new heaven and new earth, right? To the second reading. Yeah, yeah. And I think by this, this, Baptism of the Holy Spirit, and I, I was thinking about the the new, especially the the new earth elements, is that we already have a foretaste of that in a way. And I think about the, the elements used in mass, mm-hmm. you know, water, wine, oil, bread. In a sense, that's already been exalted. That new earth idea is is already happening, again, in, in a small Right. foreshadowing but it's only by the coming of christ and this baptism of nature mm-hmm. like even nature is is lifted up yep. to a new level right not just in, in including human nature but J- john the baptist seems to be participating you're you're right that's actually yeah man yeah that's a that's a great analogy he's participating in this almost natural level mm-hmm. that the Jewish people would have been familiar with ceremonial washings and baptism. Right. Just the kind of the the idea of of being cleansed in water is not new. You know, like uh, other cultures and other religions yep. knew of ritual mm-hmm. cleansings. But he's saying this is not just clean your room, yeah, and this is not just a washing of your feet and hands. But he will come with this and with the Holy right. Spirit, which is yep. a, a again a, a new whole new creation. Yeah, it's a fulfillment of all those things. Yeah, it's yeah. Like you will be changed not just through uh, 
kind of getting your life in order or mm-hmm. making straight the pass, but mm-hmm. you, mountains will be leveled, valleys will be filled in. Right, right. A, a whole new reordering and orientation will take place. Yeah, this is also kind of like an interesting uh, thing to dwell on as Christ, as somebody not just yet another prophet or somebody who just like, oh, you're calling out the, you know, the times when things get too rigid uh, or too comfortable and, you know, you're doing what every other like, you know, self-help guy would do. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, no, no, this is something different. Like all of that stuff is definitely worth hearing and necessary, but he does that and more. So it's not just how to integrate the bugs and participate in the cycle for your benefit. It's like this new creation that Christ is coming to bring. Yeah, you're saying John the Baptist is... John the Baptist is, is pointing point to point that. that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, and then that goes back to, again, his his fashion and his diet. is he, they're, <laughs> they're trying to point out here that well, all these symbols, really, part of that is he's in the spirit of Elijah, so he's mm-hmm. pointing to the coming of, of Christ, or coming of the, the end days. So again, yeah. you're right, not just a prophet among prophets, but the, the end of the prophets. Yep. Yep. The, another, like, you know, you have Elijah on one hand and John the Baptist on the other right. as like the prophets. Mm-hmm. But then also the idea that he's doing this in the Jordan, again, is not an incidental. It's that there's a new exodus and a, a re-entry, kind of a, a spiritual or symbolic re-entry into a, a new promised land. Yep. Like he, he's pointing to, I would say, higher realities again. Because many of the promises, as we know, were a reestablishment of the land and such like that. And so he's, he's saying there will not be a reestablishment of the land. There will be a new heavenly mm-hmm. promised land. So he's, yep. he's trying to shift the or, or get people to interpret the events of Israel in a, in a different light, uh-huh. in a, kind of in a different divine providence uh, how d- divine providence is going to fulfill that mm-hmm. in, in a different way than they thought. So yeah. nice. he's calling them to kind of reaffirm their identity as, as God's people. Mm-hmm. But this freedom of captivity, as we talked about from the first, the reading and the, and the Psalm is not a captivity physically, but a, a spiritual captivity. So trying to get, get it, get on a higher plane there. So yeah, for sure. I like that. Like I said, there's, there's a lot, but I think, I think we we covered a, a decent amount there. Yeah, yeah. That's um, a lot to go through. We talked about this uh, this idea of I think I mentioned it. I don't know. I'll say it again. This idea of kind of a a cosmic baptism mm-hmm. that baptism is a is a dissolution of sin and just like you put something in water, it kind of dissolves. Is I think that's what is kind of being talked about here in the second reading. Is is uh, although. Mark does not add with the Holy Spirit and fire, but I think that's a common image of yep. baptism. It's also with fire. So this idea that the whole world would be baptized, the whole world would be brought to repentance and be dis- and be dissolved, and then a new world would be created. But in that dissolution, mountains will will be brought down. Yep, yep. valleys filled. Everything yep. will be made smooth. So it's all there. I think the main thing is the main theme is just. Repent. Renewal, <laughs> renewal, and repent. You know, um, keeping it in the the spirit of of Advent. Yeah, that you they await the coming mm-hmm. uh, of Christ, just as you know, as John the Baptist pointed it out. So, think about the prophets, the small p prophets in mm-hmm. your life that are 
calling yeah. you to repentance. It's always going to feel like it's from the outside, and that's the thing with prophets. Yeah. It's like it's not going to feel comfortable. It always feels like this voice in the wilderness being like, "Hey, <laughs> you yeah." Know? And th- in some ways, that's I feel like that's the role of a marriage where you have one spouse or another calling each other out, and it feels like this opposed thing, but it's like a useful adversary, as it's translated in Genesis. It's like this voice in the wilderness being like, can you please take out the trash? <laughs> yeah. Know? Yeah, no, I, I think that's a that's a really good good image of that. Yeah. Because sometimes it, it's hard to hear, too. Yeah, and it never feels comfortable, so it's always, like, it's always a place of outside. Yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, and that's how you, you know, you kind of know it's, uh, the voice of the prophet is because it, it kind of pricks your conscience mm-hmm. and kind of yeah exactly like you don't want to mm-hmm. it's it's not a message you want to hear but you you also know it's in the sense of the right message yeah you, exactly you, you have to do that yep I guess uh if it's ever from interior it's almost like kind of your interior prophet is your conscience I'd say so mm-hmm. you know if you wanted to like uh personify your conscience it's it's like your interior prophet that is on the it's it's you but it's not you right you know pearson's talked a lot about that but this this idea of your conscience is is this weird thing that you can't really control and it yeah. seems like it's not a part of you like i said it seems like it's coming from the outside so yep. you have this it, it's your conscience bears witness against you uh-huh. it, it, and yeah. that's what the prophets do they they bear testimony witness against uh-huh. Uh, the sinful people. So, yeah, that's awesome. If you want to think of personify, if you want to do some Jungian active imagination, <laughs> yes, personify your your conscience as a prophet, oh, as a wild man <laughs> eating honey and locusts. Go ahead, yeah. I'll do that. Any any last thoughts? Or? That's it. Great. Well, I think that's a that's a good note to to end on here. So, thank you so much for listening. Thank you, Matt Highland, for joining us for filling in for Father Jonathan. And I guess if you have any questions, please email us at basicallyrelatedpodcast at gmail.com, and we will see you next week. Mm-hmm.